Smartcast. You are listening to a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Venture capital circles are talking about capital foidra, a new phrase that has come about, but one that seems extremely apt for what we are seeing in the market at the moment. Capital foigra describes a situation of being force-fed or stuffed with too much money until you and the company choke. With interest rates at an all-time low, SPACs everywhere and technology being one of the only areas in the global economy that is growing with global lockdowns, there's arguably more money than ever in the market. Additionally, funding rounds that would have previously taken weeks to schedule to the requirements for in-person presentations or meetings are happening in days with back-to-back zooms all this is resulting in funding rounds particularly at the earliest stages happening at incredibly high velocity with valuations rising faster than technology reporters can keep up with covering them to discuss more on this and with me is a very meaningful panel today Please help me welcome Anand Prasanna, Managing Partner at Iron Pillar Fund, Ashish Sharma, Managing Director in Noven Capital, and Parag Dhol, Managing Director in Ventures Capital Partners. We begin the conversation asking the current state of venture capital and what does one make of this hyperactivity? I mean, uh, thanks, Shija. So, uh, I mean, one thing I would say is all of us welcome more capital in our portfolio companies, but obviously we don't like when we see our competitors portfolio companies competitor raise a lot of money but on that note i mean let's understand i mean what's driving this right uh, you know i mean clearly as you alluded to i mean there's just a lot of liquidity out there low interest uh, cost and and this is not the only asset class the liquidity is out there except fixed income if you go to any asset class right from you know crypto to venture to private markets public markets there's way too much liquidity out there and when there is a demand supply gap i mean the phenomena around uh, velocity and valuations etc i mean that's how uh, you know that does manifest itself in the valuations i think the second reason which actually is a fundamental is uh, you know with the pandemic the pace of uh, transition from the old age economy uh, to the new age digital economy has clearly accelerated I and mean, we have seen that uh, you know even even after covid last year so leaving apart maybe two or three sectors like mobility and travel hospitality i mean almost every uh, sector be it tech or health tech or digital media uh, e-commerce has seen a tailwind because of pervasive customer changes uh, you know that all play to the advantage of new age companies so so that's a fundamental issue where capital is chasing uh, looking forward uh, where the market share will be won and you know i think the third thing which is more uh, i would say india specific is frankly for the first time i mean we do have a set of 15 or 20 credible companies that have a, a you know kind of a credible path to public markets whether it be in india or whether it be overseas or a spac route uh, so so i think those are the three things that is driving uh, you know the pace of pace and velocity of investments in higher valuations Uh, now the question is uh, i mean is it uh, you know kind of over the top and like every other thing i mean yes there are certain companies where which are i would say overvalued uh, to the size of the market they play in 
which means if they have taken money at the such higher valuations, I mean the 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 onus on them to continue to grow very fast will be fairly high. That only nobody can crystal ball how will they do. But yes, there are some companies like that, and uh, I mean clearly there are a lot of companies that uh, frankly will generate disproportionate amount of value. Uh, so so that's what is attracting uh, you know a lot of capital with high cadence, high valuations, uh, you know, and large number of unicorns. Okay, Anand, I come to you. So to, you just heard Ashish, and he laid out sort of some reasons as to why we are seeing this hyper velocity, and and the kind of uh, you know takeaway that I get from him is that perhaps some of these startups deserve this kind of capital because they are perhaps well paced to produce disproportionate returns. I want to understand what is your sense as to what we are seeing in the VC environment right now. Got it. So uh, look, first of all. Um, it's like we had to kind of make a comparison of what's really happening in the market. What we all kind of miss the boat when we do these comparisons of hypercapitalization is the VC business model is getting disrupted. While we all talk about backing disruptors, we ourselves are getting disrupted. And that's a fundamental thing. So if you really think about VCs traditionally and how things have evolved, the real VC's original, how the industry started probably 30, 40 years back was like you raise a hundred million or even probably 5 million at that point of time. And you try to get a 30 X, right? So you think about a hundred million dollar fund which is trying to make a $3 billion outcome. Then you have, you know, say growth stage investors who would probably have $500 million fund who's also going to make a six X outcome which is a $3 billion outcome. And you have late growth investors who are who came later, like a billion dollar funds, which are okay with a 3x outcome. And what you're seeing today with that same thing which you told earlier, which is a really low cost of capital, and money is going everywhere where there is some form of growth, and technology is the biggest growth space. People are putting 1.5 and 2x outcome is fine, right? And then they say they're also looking for that 2x outcome, 3 billion. Now, what you're really like superimpose this with what is really happening in the industry now. If you are a founder, your biggest challenge is okay, fine, you do a series A, series B, series C, series D, 20% dilution each time, compound all of that, you would become 25% and investors become 75%. Now, after series A, if you really have shown good product market fit and early traction and ability to build a good team, Someone come and really say, okay, fine, in three rounds, you would have raised 150 instead of, and, and diluted say 40, 50% of your company in that three rounds for getting to that massive outcome of three to $5 billion outcome, which can be created in a market like India. No, I'm not saying everyone can create it, but definitely some companies can and will. Then the same founder will find it very attractive if somebody turns up in the door and say that in that 150, is going to be given to you with just a single dilution of 20%. Then the founder suddenly looks at it, it's, oh, my, instead of being 25% of the company, I'm going to continue to be 65% of the company, me plus my team, and I do have all the capital to execute to become that massive company. The problem though, so this is the good part of the story, till now everything stacks up. The problem is there is too much of capital in the world that you do it with one company, five of your competitors also will actually get somebody else trying to do this. And then this entire thing become mess 
all these guys will go and end up spending that 150 and it'll go out to kind of raise another 300. The, the second level of problem comes in from there. The people who are investing the capital also are extremely incentivized to put more capital out of the door and raise very large amounts of capital. So uh, look, you know, the answer as you rightly said is this can actually cause all kinds of aversive problems. But that being said, if you are a business which has got a good moat, like an adjust capital cannot break you as in like as a competitive advantage for somebody else, like your competitor getting a $200 million round is not the only thing which can actually create a problem in your industry, then you should be actually like, you know, getting a lot of capital and padding up your cap, cap tables at this point of time. That is one thing which we keep on telling our portfolio companies, right? You know, so if you have a moat, if you have figured out a product market fit, take the capital at a good valuation and scale super fast using a time like this. And probably even try to kind of put industries together. Like, you know, just if you have the money, you can probably acquire your competitor. But if you have not figured the product market fit and still trying to use capital as a moat, that kind of stories will end up in disasters. We've seen that. And look, the people who are investing in the founders, all of them are taking that risk. And they understand that it's going to be a last man standing battle in those cases. And um, yeah, people are going to lose money in those cases. Thank you, Anand. That was, uh, yeah. I want to come to you, Parag. I think I like that insightful comment coming in that, you know, we talk about the startups being disrupted, but the VC industry itself is being disrupted. And I think that's a very hard revelation coming from a VC himself. And I think the SoftBank, the Tiger Globals of the world are really at the heart of it. Uh, Parag, I want to really understand from you that just taking further from what Anand alluded to, if SoftBank has really chosen you know, this company in supposed real estate space and it force feeds so much capital, then that company has already been chosen as the winner, right? Because with too much capital, you can hire so much faster. Your marketing can be so much higher. You can acquire your next competitor. So capital in some cases can itself be the mode. I want to understand you that in the case where the VC industry is being disrupted with too much capital out there, what are the modes which the VCs themselves are applying to themselves as competitive advantage? How is an inventor different from an iron pillar? As a founder, why should I not go to a Tiger Global and raise money from you rather than, or not a Sequoia? So how is the VC industry thinking of itself? Ultimately, the color of money is green and I would rather go to somebody who's giving me much more capital and perhaps at more favorable valuation. So Shrija, what happens is that we tend to read the newspapers and, and write the newspapers in your case and, and uh, tend to think that it is a, a broad brush. It is not a broad brush. Companies which are scaling, uh, companies who are second time founders, successful founders, or come from sexy businesses like Flipkart, et cetera, product guys from there, they are getting a lot of attention. Uh, and that in my mind is five, 10% of the market. There is a 90% of the market that is uh, like, like all always not getting the love. Uh, so our business is a seven, eight, 10 year business. 
to take a call on somebody, our business is not about taking a call on somebody who's 10 million, 20 million in size. Uh, the best of our companies get to that size maybe in two, three, four years, isn't it? So you are investing ahead of time. So for us, I don't think a Tiger Global or, or uh, uh, somebody like a SoftBank will ever be a competitor. They can, they can be a subsequent round funder in those one, two out of our 10 companies that, uh, that really uh, blow the top, so to speak. So that's, that's the way I look at it. So I'm, uh, I'm baffled that you would, you would just broad brush it all across is my point. Okay, but the fact of the matter is that if there's so much capital coming at large stage, what does it mean for the early stage companies? I mean, you are dumbfounded. What really should be the size of the series A? Should it be 20 million or 10 million? Really, that is the quick question. No, so there I agree. Uh, so Shriya, what is happening is because of these large rounds and, and all of us at the end of the day are influenced by the news that we read, uh, even I am. Uh, I'm very contrarian, but even I am. So uh, to that extent, I think every founder, uh, we were meeting somebody whom we hugely respect, okay? But he's raising a pre-series A of $10 million. Can you believe that? I mean, exactly. yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a pre-series A of $10 million. Uh, what? I don't know. It's a, a company which has been in operation for six to nine months. He is he's really, really bright and really, really good credentials. He's achieved something in six to nine months, but $10 million is just too much money to be, uh, to be given on. But that's the world we live in uh, currently. Okay, uh, to that extent, we will have to make these choices uh, as to, uh, we'll find our companies. Let's take, I mean, to, uh, to take your argument on the other side, uh, there are these SaaS companies which are scaled to 10, 20, 30 million dollars uh, fairly e easily, and they have attracted lots of capital. Some of them have attracted more capital than they deserve, but you cannot, uh, you cannot argue that they have not reached a certain scale in a reasonable period of time. Each of these companies which have raised tons of money on the SaaS side, which was not a market which, which is going to be impacted that much by what is happening around us. And it has far more uh, space to grow than, than something else. Deep tech, for example, is a, is a completely new business. So uh, technology, as we all know, uh, is, is, is coming into our homes, uh, so to speak. So those, those tailwinds are obviously there. There's a, too much money uh, chasing them. Take a company, as I like to say, Licious uh, is my favorite favorite example, a, a company that was not loved at all uh, before the pandemic, okay? Now, imagine, it's, it's, and I don't want to be flippant, but the pandemic is one of the best uh, advertising campaigns for a, a company like Licious, isn't it? The volume or, or a company like Vedantu, et cetera, et cetera, the volume goes up three to five, three to five to 15x in Vedantu's case from what I hear. So, so that's what has happened. Some of these companies have genuinely benefited and as a consequence will, will take a lot of capital because they are benefiting. Some of them will get badly hurt in the sectors we all know. Okay, Ashish, you have been itching to say something. You just heard both Anand and Parag. Parag's point of view is that, of course, there'll be some companies which have taken too much capital and it's not perhaps a good idea to paint all of them with the same brush. Some of them are genuine out there. And he also said that, of course, there is a trickle-down effect happening in Series A, pre-Series A funding of $10 million was unheard of. I want to sort of get your view as to what you are seeing in the market right now. So I think, I think market pretty much we are seeing more or less the same thing, what you are writing or what we are aware of in our portfolio companies. But I'll make a couple of other points, right? 
So one is, uh, I mean, I think all of us agree. I mean, there is, uh, you know, there is uh, probably a little bit too much liquidity and maybe there are certain companies that may be raising more money than they need at probably valuations that may be difficult to justify, uh, you know, down the line. Uh, but uh, the point I want to make is if you really think about this business, I mean, this business is like a ladder, right? So eventually, I mean, like what Parag or Anand fund, I mean, the goal is to handhold and, you know, over a period of time, uh, you know, the cap table gets, uh, you know, cap table gets diversified, other people come in and at some point in time, Parag and Anand would say, okay, guys, we have done what we had to do. Now there are other guys who will, you know, take the company to the next step. And, you know, this can go on and on, but where does that ladder stop, Right. I mean, nobody is going to refi out uh, a soft bank or for that matter, a tiger or any late stage investor. So the rubber hits the road when you want to go public, right? And while, uh, yes, there are a lot of companies which can afford to stay private for very long period of time, especially, but, but those are very few. I mean, those are, you know, some very large addressable markets where your late stage investors can continue to keep them. But the rubber hits the road when you go public. And then eventually before that, I mean, what is the valuation? I mean, a private valuation, frankly, is nothing but it's what I call always duty is in the eye of the beholder. So if there is an external who says, hey, this is what you value, that's the valuation, right? Once you get to public markets, I mean, everybody, you know, a guy, you know, who's putting five, $5 or 500 rupees could short sell you. There could be sell side analysts, there could be buy side, you know, there could be all kind of institutional guys, retail, uh, you know, quarter in, quarter out, month in, month out, everybody is looking, the level of disclosure is high. So one point I'm making is that eventually, uh, you know, for some companies which may end up going after markets, which in my mind may not be as large to justify the, the profit pools and the valuations. I mean, the, you know, the day of reckoning comes in once you go public. And, and then you don't control your own destiny because you can actually do a DRHP, do a pre-IPO round, but, but you know, the, the day of reckoning is when, when, when the float happens. So, so some of that you will see as a part of, uh, you know, when some of companies go public and some will do very well. And uh, I think as Parag and Anand mentioned, some of them will, uh, will struggle. Uh, the second thing is, I think there are certain spaces where, and I've had this conversation with a bunch of, uh, founders, and some of them are unicorn founders saying, I mean, why do you need so much capital? And I kind of understand where they come from, because the reality is, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you are happen to be in a deep tech space, or maybe even SaaS, uh, you know, a great product, uh, you know, you could build a great product in a great organization, uh, without raising way too much capital. So even the guys who have raised capital, it's not like they have spent all the capital, they just raised it, uh, and, and kept it in the bank largely. Uh, but I think if you are in the consumer internet kind of a space, I mean, even, even if you don't need money, I think uh, there's no founder who, you know, kind of refuses money because their, their worry is, I mean, this money is going to go and land, uh, you know, to my competitor and that's going to distort the whole market. So I think uh, there are certain spaces where, you know, as a founder, you just have no choice but to take that capital. What you do with it is us. Second question, I think Parag, uh, you, you were an investor in Policy Bazaar, right? I mean, for a long period of time, I mean, uh, you know, these guys never used, uh, you know, Ashish and Alok never used uh, most of the money they, 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 they uh, took. So, so that's another perspective I just wanted to, uh, you know, kind of throw in. Thanks for that, Ashish. Uh, so, of course, you know, I think, but there is not much incentive 
for companies to go private. I mean, there are deeper incentives for company to be private as long as you can, right? First of all, there is no public scrutiny. You don't have to report your earnings. And, and if you're a loss-making company, all the more, you don't really want to be tied down to an analyst asking you some random questions. Because when you're a public company, you are in the scrutiny of almost everybody. So Anand, sort of, you know, your question and your point of what you also mentioned, that the VC industry itself is getting disrupted and we have to learn some hard lessons, perhaps unlearn what you have learned. So how are you thinking of building out Iron Pillar in this current scenario? You are due to raise your next outing, perhaps a much larger fund. You operate in a series B, series C stage. So you would be happy to welcome, you know, a soft bank or a tiger global all the time. So I think the problem that I see with almost in my all interaction with VCs that all of them are very happy welcoming a soft bank or a tiger, tiger global. Nobody seems to be having a problem with this. And the biggest question with the VC industry right now is that, Everybody will say that Shrija, there's excess liquidity, the excesses, you know, the reckoning will be in the public float, but nobody uses the B word ever for some reason. And why is that, Anand? Yeah, look, um, so two parts of your question, right? You know, what are we doing and why is people not pushing back on this capital, et cetera, right? So, what we are doing is actually not fundamentally different because we are in the earlier part of the spectrum. So series Bs, et cetera, is actually where we invest in. Uh, thankfully, that's not the space where so much of this capital is coming in, probably a little bit later, even though it is getting closer. So we are very well aware. And we are also making our own tweaks, like what Paraga said, we are investing a lot more on the software side, for example. We are focusing a lot more on building from India. And, and we genuinely believe that there would be many, many more unicorns and decacorns which will be created from India, which are not only building software or SaaS from India for the world, but also consumer cloud and things like, say, for example, one of our companies, Fresh to Home, is expanding very successfully in the Middle East. And that will, so there are many examples like that, you know, Policy Bazaar and Parag's portfolio is another example of a company which is expanding into the Middle East. So we are seeing many founders are sitting in India today and saying that I want to become a global company. Again, not everybody will get there, but you're they're really looking at the world as a market, which is a very different thing than what you normally think about. And for those companies, getting that kind of capital and that kind of institutions behind like the later stage, whether it's a Tiger or a Kotu or a SoftBank, et cetera, bringing that kind of capital ammunition is always useful and helpful. The thing is the other set of companies, right? You know, so if you are really building for a um, like proper unit economics company, which is like within five years you want to list that kind of businesses, we do see you'll be surprised. Like you know, we are in conversation with a founder who just said, and and we really know because he's actually putting his own money along with us in this market, and he has actually said no to a bunch of VCs, but taking our capital because of specific operational help we are going to bring in, bring forward. Like we are bringing in a couple of industry people along with us and investing in this company. And they want to raise only one more, not very large round and then go public. And they're just really spinning out an asset and, and starting a company, right, so to speak. So you do see, as Paraga earlier said also, like you do see a completely different set of founders. So this large amount of money is not for everyone. 
while everything is not hitting the press, there is a lot of companies which are actually saying that, no, I don't need that much of cash, right? But not everybody, like a lot of consumer tech companies are not in the, um, like in the position. If you're in the board, if you're in a consumer tech company where that capital, as Ashish mentioned, could go to the competitor, you'd be really shooting yourself in the foot if you say no to that capital. So practically it's a better strategy for a company to say, okay, fine, now we have 200 million of more capital. Let's accelerate our growth. Fine, we are thinking about expanding into two cities next year. We are going to expand into five cities because we have more capital in hand. But we're not seeing that the market is less. Maybe you're like, you know, they say, okay, fine, we are going to new product category because of that. So we are really seeing much more mammoth companies. And, and the last one, which I would say, and this is something which again, being in the VC industry, we won't really see. The, the example which I told earlier, the two people whom I'm bringing in together to work with us in a particular company at this point of time, both of them have multi-billion dollar operational brick and mortar companies. Both those people are coming on board with us investing and building this online business because they see their business is being completely disruptive. So there is like so much of stuff, so much of other fundamentals happening where, you know, Akash being acquired by Baijus is a good example, right? You know, so uh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So that's the other dynamic also, which, which really plays out. So not all the money is actually bad, uh, especially if the founders are using it for consolidation or faster growth, as long as they can execute in that manner. Uh, uh, Anand, that was sort of helpful. And uh, also what Ashish also mentioned in terms of the public flow and what you also mentioned in terms of, you know, how you are tweaking your strategy and trying to build a much better franchise. But uh, let me ask you a straight question, you know, and a specific question. So would you invest in a company at a pre-series A or a series A level if the company in a similar space, you know, the direct competitor has been chosen by a Tiger Global or SoftBank? Will you steer clear of that company and say, listen, I don't want to venture into that space. Let me take another space. No, yes. Uh, the answer to your question is a short yes. Uh, we, will, we will steer clear. Uh, we have had prior experience uh, of that. Uh, the oxygen goes away, uh, like it or not. Uh, so uh, while capital might be just one of those things uh, that, that is required for a company for success, it is, uh, you can die for the lack of it, as we well know. So, uh, so to that extent, I think uh, experience tells us that if there is a widely funded competitor, it's, it's, a, it's a bet probably not worth it. This is a very candid conversation. I'm loving it. It's a lot of revelations coming to the fore. Yes, Anand, you want to say something? <laughs> I want to actually say something. We have actually taken it that completely against a well-funded space and created a leader by going it in a very different way if you have the right founder. And I'll tell you, like, this is the same example of Fresh to Home Missouri. So two years back, when we led the Series B, the entire market was saying, okay, fine, Samato, Swiggy, Big Basket will kill the market. There's no way you can build another grocery business, right? Grocery plus delivery, right? And either one of the three massively funded companies. And we said, no, there is a space for a ground up, like, uh, like all the way from farm to fork brand to be created in a place like that. Now, what you need as a VC, and this is where coming back to your question of what are we doing as a VC, 
we very clearly have, we have capital, like think about this. If you're a tiger, if you're a soft bank, the people who are taking money, investing money in them are the large sovereigns. In the next round of Fresh to Home, we got three of the sovereigns who are providing capital to the tigers and soft banks into the cap table of Fresh to Home. We have literally unlimited capital. So if you are a VC who can actually attract and have the relationships with that kind of capital, look, the, the, the funny thing is like, you know, when Tiger come and write a hundred, $200 million fund uh, to check to a, a company, you know, people may think it's a huge, like I was sitting down and having dinner with somebody who can actually write a personal check of a $200 million to a company to compete against that, right? And, and it's, there is a lot of deep capital looking at the space. So I would at least, and I'm pillar, we have always actually, and we are, as we speak, we are taking a similar another bet where they are well-funded competitors in the space and we are backing an absolutely great team, which is fully, what we look at is, do this company's founder, can they operate? Do they understand their math? Do they have their unit economics right? If yes, we will back and we have, umpteen amount of capital providers, so a very specific relationship of ours who would back these companies after that. Great. But so you I'm need to actually build that network to do that. And that is the 15 year journey of building that network and having them trust you. So I'm seeing both two points of view. You know, I think uh, the way we saw in the West, you know, there was a big joke that when a retailer went bankrupt, he used to say, you know what, I got Amazon. Increasingly, VCs will say, you know what, I got soft banked. I just hope that does not really happen in the Indian VC industry, given all of you are really people whom I work with. Uh, Parag, I, I, the question what I asked Anand, you know, how he is building out his capital B franchise, and he gave us those answers and meaningful insights. Let me ask you this question. Uh, Parag, what does it mean to be Series A fund at a time when the world is awash with capital? How are you building out your franchise in that scenario? And I'll have the same question for you, Ashish. What does it mean to be a venture debt fund right now in this environment? Srija, you, you probably know us as, as uh, people who are believers in capital efficiency, et cetera, et cetera. But the truth is that you have to, uh, have to play in a market. And, and uh, to that extent, some bit of, more bit of capital will be required. Our next fund, for example, which we are some distance from, but, uh, but has to be um, somewhat larger, uh, significantly larger probably uh, than our next, uh, than our current fund, simply because uh, I think some of the models, uh, deep tech models, for example, a Pixel uh, space tech company that we backed, uh, ju just take too much capital to put up those 24 satellites in the sky, isn't it? Before, uh, before you uh, tend to get revenues and all of that. So some of these models are becoming slightly more capital intensive from the beginning. So one of the things that we'll need to change is, uh, is, the, uh, uh, is, uh, is the fund size uh, to, uh, to allocate uh, with that. Uh, second, I, I think we will uh, we'll have to think about uh, being, I mean, following through or something that what we did in our first fund, for example, we changed somewhat in the second, uh, we let, because we were a small fund, we let somebody else drive the next round. And typically, if that person was very kicked about it, if we if we went down in percentage, let's say we started off with 20%, if we dropped down to 15%, we didn't mind. 
uh, I think that has to change because we realize, particularly in policy bazaar, that even if if you are backing a good horse, you have to consistently back it to make real serious money. Okay, uh, that's that's. Uh, Policy Bazaar decision for us was a perfect decision. It was not many people could have taken that decision. We took that decision at that point in time. That's paying off beautifully. But for it to pay off 2x, 3x of that, we required us to, to take those, those next steps in Series C, Series D, et cetera, et cetera, which we didn't do to the fullest extent. So, so that, that we want to change, which again has, has an implication. Some of the things that Anand talked about, uh, I think if you look at Axel, for example, and I admire that firm in particular for, uh, leave aside the name, et cetera, et cetera, but, uh, but the way they went about building that relationship with Tiger and the other funds, they were a smallish fund when, when these relationships were built, but the way they, they, uh, they tackled the problem, the previous question that you asked me, uh, they tackled that problem beautifully uh, by being a small fund, by having these relationships and, and still managed to, let us say, fund spinny, come into a spinny at a fairly late stage when they were established leaders, because uh, Axel can do that. We can't do that yet. So I think we need to uh, work on that aspect in, in particular. Managing these relationships is something we need to do better. So those are the three things that come to the top of my mind uh, at this point. Very interesting uh, revelations there, uh, you know, Parag. Uh, so I think the, the key point I'm also getting that, you know, I think I like that reference you made to Axel. So are you suggesting that instead of having a fearful attitude or escapist attitude towards a soft bank or a tiger global, why not make them your allies or partners from very beginning? Is that what you are alluding to? Uh, so having a deep relationship, those names don't matter, deep relationship with deep pockets who will follow you uh, so that even if the other side faces the cannon, and Dara said this beautifully, exactly. Dara, you would, uh, that, that cannon you would remember, even if that uh, other guy uh, gets the cannon on his side, you if you don't have a cannon, at least you have, a, uh, have hundreds of uh, whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever kind of firearm that you can think of. Yeah. Rather than having SoftBank's capital cannon facing me, I would rather have the capital cannon behind me. That's what Super CEO Kara Dara said. Ashish, to your answer now, what does it mean to be a venture debt fund in these times? Obviously, the basics pretty much are the same, right? So from a risk return standpoint, we look at things in a different way. Uh, and uh, frankly, I always put a 75% fixed income hat and a 25% equity hat uh, because, you know, the construct of our product is we do take some warrants and we, by the way, also make some direct equity investments, uh, you know, in some of our portfolio companies in subsequent rounds. Uh, so the difference is, uh, I mean, if you are uh, early stage VC, the portfolio construct uh, requires you to, I mean, you can afford a lot of type one errors, which is basically false positives. But I mean, frankly, if you have type two errors, that could be the difference between the fund you know, doing well or not doing well. Uh, that's, that's the way, you know, the, the whole uh, construct works. I think for us, given that, that we take lesser risk, I mean, our return expectations are lower. Uh, so, I mean, we try to avoid type one errors, right? And you know, once in a while, we may miss out on type two. It really doesn't matter because unlike early stage VC funds, 
who may not be able to participate if they miss out in series A or series B, right? Beyond because you know it won't just fit in within their uh, fund size unless you happen to be a very large fund with a growth fund in the US. Uh, so that's the approach we typically take. And uh, frankly, right now with all the capital, I mean, venture debt doesn't work in isolation because essentially what happens is we start small. And unlike doing a pro rata, actually we go the other way around. As companies put more runs on the board, as they become bigger, as they la raise larger rounds, their capital structures uh, you know, can actually afford and service a bigger amount of venture debt. Uh, so frankly, for us, it's all about uh, you know, start a relationship, uh, continue doubling down, tripling down on the, the entrepreneurs that are uh, you know, uh, executing well and, and partner with uh, you know, the other investors, uh, you know, whether it's Anand or Prarag, and we work with everybody. So, so, so frankly, right now there is uh, uh, just a lot of deal flow, um, you know, both in late stage and growth stage and early stage uh, across the board. Our only focus is to avoid type one errors. And even if we have type one errors, we rather have type one errors early stage uh, where we're not going to lose our share because, you know, in our asset class, I mean, I'm not going to get something that's going to give me 10x returns, right? So I always joke, I mean, it's uh, ours is a Rahul Dravid type batting style uh, before his Indra Nagar Ke Gunde came out. So basically just play safe and secure, uh, take a lot of singles and once in a while, you know, you know, hit some boundaries. Uh, early stage investing is Sevak type batting style, right? So he may get out early, but you know, every now and then he will give you that the 50 ball 100. And if, and if you are a good in bracket lucky VC, maybe he gives you a 150 ball 200. So it's a little different perspective, but uh, that's what we try to achieve. Making sure we don't take equity-like risk for quasi-debt, quasi-equity kind of returns. Thanks, Ashish. That was helpful. Uh, you know, you just spoke about, you know, your product construct. Okay, the last round of questioning. I mean, we had this excellent sort of discussion today. Anand, I'll begin with you and then sort of get on to Parag and then with Ashish. Uh, you know, the last remarks, you know, first quick question, would you use the B word for what you are seeing in the market right now? I mean, is it a bubble or not? It's definitely a bubble in most parts of the market and <laughs> all asset classes. Okay. So, Anand, my last question to you, you know, so many founders who are going to be watching this interaction, what would be your advice to them? My advice would be like, if you have figured out your product market fit, raise as much as capital. Um, if it is a, you know, if it's a capital constraint, like, sorry, it's the industry which is affected by capital. But if it is an industry which is not affected by capital, then you don't really have to bother about it. Just do what you're doing. That's it. Okay, Parag, the same question. Okay, so uh, honestly, I'm confused about uh, about the bubble. I, I think uh, at the end of the day, uh, all this liquidity, will it go down? Uh, are we equating US to India? L look at our stock market. I mean, uh, the, the uh, domestic investors, the domestic uh, MFs have been selling, uh, but foreign investors have been buying and that is going up. That's exactly what is, uh, not exactly, but that's that kind of represents what is happening in the uh, Indian private markets as well. Now your advice to founders, quick one. No, so uh, I think capital efficiency matters. Uh, at the end of the day, I think, uh, uh, and and uh, I, I'll say this, the, the, uh, the test of the model, the, the uh, rubber meets the road is the Zomato IPO. 
uh, how Indians take up the Zomato IPO will determine uh, each of our futures in, in some senses. And, and there, in my view, a, a higher probability outcome is when capital efficiency is taken care of. Okay, Ashish. Well, I, I mean, definitely we are. I mean, I would be, I would be lying if I say uh, something else in private, but there, is, there are pockets of bubble. There's no two ways around it. I mean, I love history, all kind of history, including history of markets. So we have been in a, you know, kind of a one-way street and I'm not talking about venture, every asset class, right? I mean, we, this is the 11th or the 12th year of a one-way bull market uh, driven by a host of factors. And uh, frankly, markets are cyclical. So the only thing which we don't know, and that's a trillion dollar question is, I mean, how long will this go? But there will be market dislocation, uh, you know, I mean, whether it's a year down the line or two years down the line. Uh, so that is one. I mean, obviously, all my portfolio companies, I believe their valuations are justified. And all other companies, I feel like they're, you know, not justified, but uh, that's a different thing. Now, uh, you know, coming, I mean, I, I don't have any advice for founders. I mean, founders are very smart, I have to say. Uh, they kind of figure out which way the market is. I think the only thing I, I, I say, I agree, I think what Parag and maybe Anand also mentioned is, I mean, you need to have a good sense on you know, what's the end game uh, and what kind of space you are in. And, uh, you know, I mean, how much capital do you need? And obviously you've got to raise capital, you know, when you don't need it, goes without saying, and you can't time the market like what happens in public markets as well. So if you can raise capital, but how much capital to raise and is, is your model where capital is, is a significant mode or is it just, you know, to give uh, maybe instant gratification around, you know, getting higher valuations and, you know, to, to, to kind of show progress to your team and everybody else. I think that's the only thing I would, uh, you know, probably suggest to a few founders, but I think these guys have a much better pulse on what's happening. So, so not too much advice is required. Okay, and that was a great end to this lovely conversation that we had. Before we sort of part our ways, a quick rapid fire. I'll begin with you, Anand. You know, your first reaction to Zomato IPO, describe in one word. Awesome. <laughs> okay, Parag, one company in Anand's portfolio wish you wish you would have invested in, which is your anti-portfolio. Fresh to home. <laughs> Okay, Ashish, what is your anti-portfolio in these times? I mean, not these times, but I, I, I mean, Dream 11 is one, which uh, frankly, for a variety of reasons, we didn't pass obviously, but very early, I mean, we could have done something and I love that what they've done. So that would be one anti-portfolio, I would say. Okay, and you know, one message to SoftBank, what would that be? I don't know, maybe, maybe Anand, do you want to go first? <laughs> India is just way too deep for just a soft bank to win. Okay. Parag, you would have any message for soft bank? They, they are too big. Choti move So <laughs> I'll stick with that. There's no, I mean, see, everybody, depending on the size of the capital pool, everybody is in there to put money to work and generate returns for their investors. So I'm sure, I mean, uh, everybody takes the calls in the construct of what they're working. And so, so, I mean, I don't think so anybody will give any advice. I mean, they're all very high IQ, very smart people in some of these firms. 
Okay. So thank you, gentlemen. I think my one concluding remark would really be that, you know, India needs all kinds of capital right now. We do need AIF. We, we, do, we need domestic capital. We need long-term capital. We need annuity-seeking incomes of Canadian funds. We need long-term late-stage capital of the likes of SoftBank and Tiger Global. So all of you are going to be relevant and relevant for a very long period of time, just given the entrepreneurial capital that this country produces. So I'm wishing you all the best for your near future. And before that, wishing you and your are very healthy in a positive 2021. Just keep ourselves calm and composed. And thank you for joining in. It's my sheer pleasure and privilege to have had this discussion. Thank you. Thank you, Anand. Thank you, Parag. Thank you, Ashish. Really, thank you. Thank you, Srijan. Thanks, Ashish and Parag. Bye. This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.